sealed my pardon, paid the debt, and made me free. Would you stand as we sing, There is a Savior? Let us pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this service, Father, for your presence here. Father, we just pray that you would bless our speaker, Father, that you would bless our singing, Father, more importantly, that you would bless this, the first fruits of our offerings that we bring to you today. Father, we pray that, that this offering would not only, not only be a testament of our, our belief in you and our trust in you, but Father, more importantly, that it be the first, that it be given in love. So, Father, with those things in mind at this time, we thank you for the fact that we give you the first fruits, which is this offering. Amen. Oh, oh, oh. 
excited for this opportunity to preach uh, tonight, and there's been uh, a lot on my mind and on my heart. Um, you know, obviously this week was a, a significant week with the passing of, of Billy Graham, uh, so I'm sure many of us have given quite a bit of reflection to that, and I'm fairly young. I'll turn 30 next month, uh, so my memories of Billy Graham, there aren't a whole lot of them. I do remember seeing occasionally uh, a Billy Graham crusade on TV, um, but I, I knew, one thing I knew growing up was how much of an impact he made on so many people's lives, uh, and it, it, and you know, from being young, you don't always realize the impact someone may, ha may have made. Well, as I grew older, as I began to learn more, I, I began to understand of the significant impact he made, not just in America, but worldwide. Uh, I, I'm sure many of you heard uh, with his passing, they talked about over 200 million people heard him preach uh, in his lifetime. Uh, that is absolutely amazing. That is astonishing. And as I began to reflect, I began to think, I don't know if, if maybe ever again, if anyone will have that sort of audience again um, in history. That, that may never happen. He came at such a unique time in human history with the dawn of television and radio and its popularization uh, that he was able to amass a massive audience. And technology has gotten to a point now where it is, it's so far advanced and there are so many different, um, whether it be channels on TV or just avenues, it is saturated, or the media is saturated with so many other voices where one person may not be able to have that sort of reach again just because of everything else that's out there. And so, I, as I thought, I just thought, man, that is, uh, it, it's incredible to, one, been alive uh, during uh, the, the time of someone who is such a, a great servant of God, uh, who trusted the Lord, and who did great things only by God's work. God worked through him in a mighty and powerful way uh, as he preached the word. I mean, that was, that was what he did. He was faithful to preaching God's word and proclaiming it. And it was something that God blessed his ministry with. You know, why God used him in that, in that particular way, you know, I don't know. There's lots of evangelists out there who preach the same gospel message uh, but God used Billy Graham in such a special way. And one thing that's just awesome to think about, because Billy Graham, don't get me wrong, Billy Graham had an amazing ministry. One thing that's awesome is, and I think he would agree with this, is we all serve 
the same Savior, love the same Lord, and when we enter heaven, it's all going to be about Jesus anyways, and that we get to stand beside someone like that uh, and worship Jesus is just such an awesome thing. So um, it hopefully has been a good time of reflection for all of us because we may never see someone like that uh, again in our lifetimes who had such a significant impact on the church, not just in America, but globally. So uh, as I thought about the, this week, it just really uh, made such a big impression. And I graduated from uh, Southern Seminary in Louisville. I think many of you know that, but the school, the particular school there, when I was there, it was divided into four schools. Now I think they have it down to three uh, but the Billy Graham School of Mission still remains, and that was the school at Southern Seminary that I graduated from. And it, it is a tremendous honor to think that, I, you know, that I was able to attend not just Southern Seminary, but graduate uh, from the school that bears his name uh, in his honor. So that's just a tremendous honor for me, uh, and, and to think that, you know, I'm here tonight to preach the same gospel message that he preached. Uh, I'm no Billy Graham, so don't get your hopes up, but we are preaching the same message. We are preaching the gospel of Jesus, so uh, I'm excited uh, to share this word with you tonight. Um, and you can open up, just to give you a heads up, you can open up your Bible to the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel uh, 37. So Daniel, he... he you know, goes down, he's in Brazil and returns a little later this week. And so he told me, he's like, well, you've got, you've got 50 minutes to fill up. <laughs> and I remember thinking, well, yeah, I preached here once before, right around the time I was in the process uh, of being called here. And I don't think I went 50 minutes. And I don't know that I'll go 50 minutes tonight, uh, but uh, I'm going to try and fill a good amount of time. But we may get out here a little early. Um, but turn to Ezekiel 37, and this is going to be a passage I think a lot of you are familiar about. Of course, there's a song about this passage that, that our kids sing, um, but ho hopefully our look at this today, it may put it in a, in a fresh light uh, today. So before we begin, uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, I pray uh, for this word tonight, your word, uh, that it would uh, be upon us and that we would hear it, receive it. Uh, and act upon it, God. And we know that you are at work in us, Lord. I pray that you would give me the strength to proclaim your word faithfully and that the hearers uh, would hear. In Jesus' name, amen. So, as many of you do probably know, I'm from Oklahoma, and I went to a university in Oklahoma, and in college I was part of uh, the Baptist Collegiate Ministry at my university for four years, so BCM. And my sophomore year, I started serving on the student leadership team in the BCM ministry. And this is the beginning of my sophomore year. Really, the sophomore, you know, that year, hadn't, the term hadn't begun. And I was on my first leadership team retreat before the fall semester at the University of Science and Arts of Oklahoma. And our BCM director, he handed out pictures of students uh, on our campus, so there's our leadership group is probably like about eight students total, uh, and we were in Falls Creek. I don't know if any of you know what Falls Creek is, but we went to a, uh, one of the cabins at Falls Creek Camp in Oklahoma, and we're sitting around this table, and he begins to hand out all these pictures to begin our first leadership team meeting. And USAO, our campus, it's a small 
regional university with only about 700 students that live on campus and probably about 1,200 students total. And he handed out pictures of students on campus. Facebook is around by this point. It's easy to get pictures of people. And you could search by university. You could search by year, you know, what year they entered or what year they're going to graduate. So we had all kinds of pictures of students from our campus and pictures of people that we recognized. And two of the photos I received, so I received many, but uh, two of the photos I received uh, were of one, a guy named Josh Latrell, and the other, a girl named Laren Short. And our BCM director, his name is also Josh, and Josh is actually uh, the preacher coming this next weekend for our Student D Now weekend. Uh, so I'm, I'm personally very excited uh, to have him coming, speaking to our students. He's going to do a great job, and he'll be preaching here next Sunday morning as well. So you guys will get to hear him. You guys will get to meet him. So you can put a face to the name. Uh, but Josh, he, he told us to look at the photos that were in front of us, that he gave us. And what he said next, I will never forget. I mean, it was one of those moments. It was just etched in my mind. I'm never going to forget this moment. So it's quiet. We're looking at the photos. We know, we know something serious is about to be said. He said... I want you to look at these pictures and see death. The impression made on me, it didn't just last for that moment, but it stretched out all of my years at USAO, and it is something that still sticks with me today. That's still something that I think about. That's still a phrase I hear in my mind. So I looked at those pictures, and I looked at the picture of Josh Latrell, and this person, Josh, he was an agnostic. Uh, he wouldn't say atheist necessarily, but more, I, I just don't know. Um, I'm apathetic uh, towards a lot of religion, and it's just not really important to me. I'm not, I'm not militant against it, but it's just not for me. Great for other people. Uh, well... Josh Latrell, this is someone I witnessed to on a few occasions. It's a small campus, you see people frequently at the gym or at the cafeteria. And I invited him to our ministry functions pretty often. And sometimes he came, usually to, he would come to lunch. We had a lunch every week, every Wednesday. He would come to that pretty frequently. But the gospel never took root in him. And to the best of my knowledge, Josh is still not a believer today. Laren... Uh, she was witnessed to countless times by numerous students in our ministry. Uh, she heard the Gospels. We had a lot of students who were really faithful to the Gospel message, and Laren rejected the Gospel multiple times. Uh, she, she was a, a great personality. Uh, she wasn't exact, I wouldn't say militant to your face, but on Facebook she would be militant uh, to to Christians and the Christian message. Um, and on May 24, 2011, Laren was killed by a tornado that hit Chickasha, Oklahoma, our college town. Uh, she, we had, you know, she had graduated. We were in the same graduating class. Um, it, we graduated in 2010. The next year, she was killed in a tornado in Chickasha, Oklahoma. While I cannot know for sure what happened in the last moments of her life, uh, I, I can say with uh, a lot of confidence that all signals pointed to the fact that she never repented uh, from her sin, 
from her atheistic and homosexual lifestyle. And it's a great tragedy that she died in her, in her sin. And I remember that day very much uh, that happened. I, it was a Wednesday. I was, I was in Worthville, and uh, I, I, the messages were coming. It was all over Facebook, and I just thought to myself, what a tragedy. It, it really broke my heart. There were so many people hurting, and so many of her friends were atheists. Uh, people of the same like-mindedness as her. And, you know, when someone, a lot of times when someone dies, Facebook can become kind of a, a memorial place where people begin to, uh, you know, say uh, their thoughts and, and give eulogies of the person. And it was so sad because so many of the messages had no hope. Uh, people just, just grateful for the fact they knew her, but in their minds that, there was no hope. I mean, you know, what is there? If you're an atheist, what is, what is next? And it was so sad. It broke my heart because I knew that she was hostile to the gospel of Jesus and, and that she was not a believer. So these are two accounts of peers of mine at college who are dead. One, dead spiritually with his body still alive. The other, dead both in the physical and the spiritual sense. So we can't be fooled into thinking that because only one body is decaying, one physical body is decaying, that only one of those is dead. We have to recognize spiritual death as well. And today I want us to see death. Because when we see death, we will see the need for us to give the life-giving message of Jesus. We need to see death the way the prophet Ezekiel saw death. So we're going to read uh, Ezekiel 37, 1 through 14. Let me turn there. I missed my mark. So Ezekiel 37, 1 through 14. It says this, The hand of the Lord was upon me, And he brought me out in the Spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? I answered, O God, O Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, Prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live, and I will lay sinews upon you, and and will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you. And you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling And the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them. But there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, Prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived, and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. Then he said to me, Son of man, 
These bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up. Our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. And I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live. And I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it, declares the Lord. Throughout the book of Ezekiel, we see time and time again of the word of the Lord coming to Ezekiel. This expression, the word of the Lord, the word of God. The word of God came to him, and he was to proclaim that word. That was what that meant. But it's not as easy as it, it may sound. It's simple, yes, but not, uh, not easy. So think for yourself of all the times the Holy Spirit is pressing upon you to speak and to say something, but you held your mouth shut because of fear. While we are quick to have excuses or justify a way of not saying something when we ought, this isn't exactly the way it works for a prophet. The life of a prophet is very difficult. It's a difficult life. It is a difficult calling. And one thing that distinguishes a prophet from everyone else was his lifestyle. A prophet doesn't live like everyone else because of all of the demands. And Ezekiel had a particularly difficult ministry. He was prophesying to Israel while they were in exile. So because of their idolatry, God banished them from their own land, and God handed them over to a pagan nation as an instrument of his wrath. So that's, that's, that's the scenario. That's the world that Ezekiel is living in. This is the, the people to which he's prophesying to. And Ezekiel, he was often preaching what many would call a harsh message. You read Ezekiel, it's full of hard things. It's very, uh, it is difficult. And it was, but this was his calling as a prophet. And another thing with prophets is the prophet's life, they also show us something about who God is. Prophets display certain characteristics about God and who he is. So think about Jeremiah. Jeremiah was known as the weeping prophet. This shows us how God is grieved by our sin. Hosea, the prophet Hosea, he was the husband of a prostitute. And in the book of Hosea, the point is that this demonstrates God's faithful love to his people despite their sin. Despite the sin of his wife Israel, God still loved them and God was still faithful to him through it all. And so it is with Ezekiel. His life shows us something about God. And one of those things it showed us about God was the wrath of God. Uh, you know, Jeremiah, he got to show uh, God's love and God's, uh, God's kind of his grieving spirit for sin. Was, they had difficult lives too. I mean, I, I understand that. But Ezekiel, his message was to, to display the wrath of God in his life. And one thing that he was known for was he, he had sort of this street theater ministry. And he was called to demonstrate the coming judgment of God without using words. Uh, so think of a drama ministry. This is what Ezekiel did. Uh, he wasn't going to use words. 
He was just going to live this life, and it would signify to the people what God was trying to say to them. And this is how difficult it was for Ezekiel. At one point in his ministry, for 390 days, over a year, he laid on his left side. Laid on his left side. And after that time, once the 390 days ended, he laid on his right side for 40 more days. And each day it represented the number of years the house of Israel and the house of Judah was to be punished for their sins. So that's what that meant. Another part of his public ministry was that he had to eat bread cooked using fuel that was made from cow dung. Now, this is just for the fuel. He wasn't eating the cow dung, but you know, this isn't necessarily uncommon even to this day in third world countries. You go to India, you know, a lot of the fire that they make, it's fueled from dried cow dung. So it's not an uncommon way to create fire or, or, or use fuel for cooking a meal, but Ezekiel, he was a priest. And so this was defiling to a priest. Another thing he was called to do is he even had to shave all of his hair to further show the judgment of God on Israel. And this was just one aspect of his ministry. So, we know this. When the word of the Lord came to Ezekiel, it was not going to be easy. It was going to be tough. And we can apply this to us. We cannot think that life, our lives, are supposed to be easy as God's messengers. It will not be. If we are to conform to the image of Christ, we have to know that the cross, it is heavy. It is heavy. So in this passage, we are in a vision. So uh, the passage, we are in this vision that Ezekiel is having. And in this vision, Ezekiel has been placed in a valley to witness death. And verse 1 says that the hand of the Lord was upon him. Now this expression, the hand of the Lord, isn't used nearly as frequently as the expression, the word of the Lord. So why is this significant? Many times... God wanted Ezekiel to personally demonstrate and proclaim the word which came to him for the sake of the people he was ministering to. So the word of the Lord comes to Ezekiel, and the purpose is for the people to hear that word. It's not as much for Ezekiel when the word of the Lord came to Ezekiel. The word of the Lord was for the people. But there are some things God wanted Ezekiel to see and experience for himself. So the importance of the hand of the Lord being upon Ezekiel is that he personally had to grasp the realities before him. Not just the people he was preaching to. God wanted Ezekiel, in this case, to see and to experience this. Therefore, it's important for us today to understand what he was going through in this vision. I pray that we see what Ezekiel saw that day in the valley. I want to set us down in this valley, and I want us to see what Ezekiel saw. And what Ezekiel saw was death. That is what he was surrounded by. We need to see death when we're at an airport, or at Walmart, or Kroger. The next time you are at a crowded store, look around and, th- and think of the death that surrounds you. I remember... Yeah, I, this is something I still will think about to, till today. Uh, you go to a mall and you're surrounded, and think to yourself, all the people who don't know the Lord, all these people, all these dead people walking around, it will make an impact on you. 
It will help us to see the urgency. And that's something, I can't help but think this is something Billy Graham saw. He sees a stadium of 50,000 people, and he probably just thought, death everywhere. So, death is all around us, but what about on a more personal level? than just the big crowds, besides just the big, big crowds, what about on a personal level? We need to see death in our co-workers who don't know Jesus. And perhaps even, if it applies, you need to see death in your own home. If there are people in your family who don't know the, who don't know the Lord, death surrounds us. It surrounds us. Verses 1-6, through six, The hand of the Lord was upon me, and He brought me out in the Spirit of the Lord, and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. And He led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. And He said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, You know. Then He said to me, Prophesy over these bones, and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live, and I will lay sinews upon you, and will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So remember how I mentioned that Ezekiel, he was a priest. He was a a part of the Aaronic priesthood. And as a priest, he lived a life in accordance to the commands and customs of how a priest was to conduct himself in in purity. So he had to stay away from anything that would have been set apart as ceremonially unclean. And this included anything that was dead. So he's this priest. He can't be around anything that's dead. He certainly can't touch it uh, lest he be considered unclean and defiled. And here, Ezekiel is in a valley full of bones. And death surrounds him. So we can't really appreciate what he must have been experiencing. None of us are are Old Testament priests who have this strict code and law they must follow about touching death. Uh, And he is experiencing all of this in this vision. He would have been so repulsed by everything around him and worried about touching anything because if he touches any of the bones, he would become unclean. I mean, you can just picture it in your mind's eye that he's standing here, God sets him in this valley, and he's just like stiff as a board. I'm not going to move. If I move an inch in front of me, I'm going to touch dead bones. If I move an inch to the left, to the right, or behind, I'm going to touch death. And he's just petrified. He's stuck. I mean, that, that is the image. That is the scene. He is, he is worried about becoming unclean. This is a tough situation for a priest. A, a, a situation no priest would want to be in. So this is a scene. A, a priest in exile. He's in exile with the people. And he hasn't been able to even perform his priestly duties because the temple's gone. His people ha- have been moved. And now... He's in this valley that is totally defiled and surrounded by bones and death. That's what's around him. And so there are three points from this section, verses 1 through 6, three points from this section of passage that we need to see. One, we must understand the condition of those who are dead. Verse 2 ends by describing the bones as very dry. that's That's an important detail. Uh, every word of God is important. Very dry. 
it's, it's giving emphasis to the fact that this is total decay. And these bones are, are, it's not that you have a full femur bone lying around, it's that the femur bone has deteriorated, you know, it, it's got holes in it, it is so dry, it is total decay. There's no hint of any life whatsoever. And the bones have been there decaying for a long time. That's number one. That there is total decay. Death is all around. Number two. Number two. We have no ability to give life to what is dead. Verse three explains that when God says to Ezekiel, God says, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. Ezekiel understands that he, he, Ezekiel, cannot make the bones live, and he confesses to this. And this leads to our third point. Number three, God has the ability. Ezekiel doesn't, but God has the ability to give life. This is entirely up to God. God is the only one who can create life out of nothing as well as give life where there is death. And Ezekiel knew this. This was part of his confession. Oh Lord, you know. He knew that he couldn't make the bones live. That's not what he was saying. He was saying that God knows if they can live and will live. God is the giver of life. God is the one who sends His Spirit to create new life. Therefore, we must never think or assume that someone is unable to come to life. This is a, a, a sin we should avoid. When we, if we look at someone and think, they can never know the Lord. They are too far, they are too dead. They are too dead. This is an oxymoron to God. We can never think that. We can never assume that someone is unable to come to life. God can wake the dead with His power of His Word. Jesus said in John chapter 3, you guys know this, the wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. So God gives Ezekiel the command to prophesy, to speak. Being a prophet, wasn't, it wasn't about telling the future. Sure, there are things that a prophet, you know, they foreshadow, they tell of things to come, but a prophet proclaims. That is what it means to prophesy. That's what God's saying here. Preach, speak to the bones. So God gives Ezekiel the command to prophesy. And he tells him exactly what will happen when he prophesies to the bones. He says, listen, prophesy, and then this is what's going to happen. He says, thus says the Lord God to the bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live, and I will lay sinews upon you, and will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. Speak to the bones, Ezekiel. That's what God tells him to do. Speak to the bones. Verses 7 through 10. What does Ezekiel do? So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a sound. And behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them. But there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, Prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath. Thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. So what's the point? 
One main point I want us to take from that section is do as commanded and watch God work. God commands Ezekiel to do one thing, and God does the work. Do as commanded and watch God work. God did exactly what He said He would do in verses 5 and 6. So the bones are beginning to take form. Dry, decaying bones are now assembling together. And the passage, He gives some detail. We don't just simply have to, you know, sometimes we we get a creative imagination about, about the Scripture and that's not always bad. Ezekiel gives us the detail. He says, listen, they, they were making sound. You could hear the bones coming together, rattling. You can hear it. The bones, the dry, decaying, decaying bones are coming together. They're rattling as they come together. And then ligaments and muscles, they begin connecting. And skin is beginning to cover it all. But I want us to notice that there still isn't life just yet. The bones come together, the muscles and ligaments connect, there's skin that covers them all, but there isn't life yet. There has been a great physical transformation, but they still lack life that comes from the breath of God. These bones are now bodies, but they are no closer to being alive as as a corpse is. Even though they were bones and now they've taken form. I mean, there's been a great physical revival, but they're still dead. They do not have life in them. So what I want us to see from this, and I hope I communicate this clearly, don't be deceived into thinking that, that we may not need to share the gospel with someone because we see that person and we think, man, they are... They're a great moral person. They, they live a good life. They're a great neighbor. They're a great friend. They don't do a lot of bad stuff. I even see eye to eye with them on politics and so much. But they lack faith in Jesus. Don't think that they are alive. Don't assume that they are alive because if they lack faith in Jesus, they don't. They're not alive. Don't think that that person is any closer to life than someone who's an atheist, someone who's a homosexual, someone who's a drug addict, someone who's an alcoholic, someone who's a criminal, you name it. Don't think they're any closer to being alive. If they do not have faith in Jesus, they are dead. They're all equally dead and equally in need of the saving work of Jesus. And when God creates new life, In any of them, it is an equally astonishing miracle. One thing that that in my life that I think about is the fact I grew up in a home, we went to church. I won't go into my full testimony, but we went to church. I followed Christ when I was about six years old. I was very young. And I've sinned, I've done things, but I never had this season in my life where I just like totally rebelled against God, where I was doing all these things. And, and you know, I'm so thankful for that. And I, you know, at some point, you, you think to yourself, and you hear amazing testimonies, and it is. It's awesome to hear the testimonies of people who were living these lives of great rebellion, and God saves them. 
And sometimes it's easy for people like me, because a lot of us may have that same testimony of, we grew up in church, we, never, we may have never had this season where we rebelled against God in some great way, but that's an incredible testimony that God kept us from so much, because the testimony is that we were dead in our sins, and God made us alive. So whatever the case, it, it really is all the same in that God has given the life. God has made us new. It is an equally astonishing miracle, no matter who it is. So let us, don't, don't think that someone, just because they may look a certain way, they may live a certain way, but lack Jesus, that, that, they're, that they're not in need. They need the gospel. They need Jesus. So we must speak. That's the point of this whole passage, really. We must speak. We have to preach the gospel we have to prophesy as Ezekiel did. Verses 9 and 10. So, uh, verses 9 and 10. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath. Thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. God starts and God finishes the work of creating new life, and He does it through words. That is the method that God has set forth for His creation to, to, to create life, is for us preaching the Word. We preach the Word of God. And when Ezekiel spoke, when Ezekiel did as he was commanded, it says, an exceedingly great army stood before Ezekiel. All of these bones, they're now an army. But just then, as the army stands up, the army is before Ezekiel, God informs Ezekiel that the bones, they represent something. They represent, they represent Israel. And the bones, the bones say that there's no hope. They say there's no hope for them. And Ezekiel, he, he was a prophet to a people who felt like they had no hope. And we see this in verses 11 through 14. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel, and you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. And I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it, declares the Lord. There is hope. Hope is is the message of this passage. Hope that bones will become a living army. Hope that God's people can return to their land. Hope of salvation when there was once destruction. The entire passage leading up to this, it's an image of death and destruction so much. And they say there's no hope. But if you go on, one important part about reading our Bible is the context. The book of Ezekiel, it doesn't end in chapter 37. You keep reading, keep reading. And in chapter 40 of Ezekiel, we see the new temple. 
there is a coming perfection and glory that will overcome the death and destruction of chapter 37. God has set out to restore His people by putting them back in their own land with a new temple. And by this, when the new temple is built, it will be a testament, another testament of the work of God so they will know that He is the Lord. There is absolute assurance in what God said He will do. And among these people that He saved during this time came the one who was promised. So God had been promising, listen, I'm going to restore to you the land. I'm going to rebuild the temple for you. I'm going to save a remnant of you. And God kept His word. And through that, through, the, through God re, to exile, from exile, back to their land, God would ultimately send the one promise. The one who would ultimately defeat death once and for all. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? So when we understand that death has been defeated in Jesus, we will be liberated to powerfully preach the Gospel to those who need it desperately. Death has been defeated. Jesus has overcome the grave. He has killed it. There is no more victory for death. There is no more sting in death. And when we understand that, when we see that there's no need for death anymore because of Jesus, because of God's Word, that we have... If we understand that, we will powerfully preach the Gospel to those who need it desperately, to those who are dead. Because that message can make dead bones live. Therefore, when we believe and have confidence in the power of the Gospel to give life to those who are dead, we're going to preach it. We will preach it. And you know what will happen? We will see the dead rise to life. That's what's going to happen. This is what this passage is speaking about. We preach the Word. We do what God's commanded. The dead will come to life. We want to see this church full, this church growing. The best way to do that is preaching the Gospel. There's a lot of things. You know, there's a lot of things that are good. They're not bad. There's a lot of different things. But the main thing is preaching the Gospel. And we will see God work. We will see God move. We will see the dead come to life. We will see multitudes come together to form an exceedingly great army. I'm confident of this. This is a promise from God's Word. You look at places where there is great revival going on, the Gospel is being proclaimed. It's not watered down. It's just being proclaimed faithfully. And this army... This army that was once dead, I mean, we were once dead. The army that, that God makes alive, that God builds up, it will proclaim the glory and majesty of the Lamb who has purchased them by His blood. The Lamb that was slain so that the valley of bones might live. This is the hope of this passage. This passage points us to the hope of Jesus. And the message of Jesus is that whosoever believes in Him will have life. Anyone who believes in, in Jesus can come. But we're the ones God has commanded to preach that message. Let's pray. God, we thank You for Your Word. God, I pray that uh, this message would, it would touch us, God. That we would see the importance of, of the message and Gospel You have entrusted us with. That 
when we look around, that we would see death. And that, that would cause urgency within us because where there is spiritual death, the physical bodies, there is limited time. There, there is no post-mortem opportunities for salvation. That's not something Your Word teaches. There's only this one life. So would we be faithful to proclaim the message You have given us and would we trust You? Because You, you will be faithful to Your Word. You will work. You will make dead bones live. Uh, so Lord, we pray this. Uh, Lord, I pray this over our people for myself. And would, this, would we see this evident in our church? Would we see uh, dead bones come to life and come to worship You? We give You praise. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Uh, here for the invitation, Steve will lead us. If you need to respond in any way, whether it's, uh, whether it's to respond to the call of the gospel, or if you need to lay something at the altar, uh, please, uh, please respond. You would stand as we sing number 435, just as I do.
There he is. All right. Uh, so any, any other announcements? All right. Great. Do you, is there a uh, closing hymn? Or I don't know how we normally do things uh, on Sunday. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I'll, I'll pray. Lord, thank you for tonight. We praise you for your word. Uh, I pray that it would, it would penetrate our hearts, God, and uh, that we'd be obedient to it. Uh, obedient to proclaiming the message and that we would see we would see it work uh, when we're obedient. So we thank you, God, and empower us with your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.